now as we come to the sacred hour where the people of God at Park I hear your word. I pray that you would soften hearts, Lord God, that those who have, have set themselves against you this morning because of sin, I pray, God, that you would soften them, that this word would, would, would fall on fertile soil. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be extolled and exalted, and that because the name of Christ is, is lifted high, you would draw men and women, boys and girls, unto yourself. God, this is a sacred hour. We know it, God, but you can save souls. Father, you have saved people in this place. We pray that you would do so again this morning. Father, we pray that there would be no one here who does not understand who you are, that you are the Lord. So, Father, I pray that you would remind us of your kind grace in revealing yourself to us in your Son. We pray, God, that you would help us trust you, even in the midst of trial, God, that our hearts would not be bent towards evil and would not be bent to blame you for evil, but, God, that our hearts would be bent to trust you, God, the God who works all things for good because you love us, God. So, God, I pray that you would make this offering of, of the preach word beneficial to your people. Build them up, I pray, into the image of Christ. We ask this in his name. Amen. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a masterful work, uh, The Screwtape Letters, uh, almost, uh, almost getting out of cent- almost a century ago, not quite yet. Uh, and in this letter, he has uh, an older demon, Wormwood, writing to his, uh, or sorry, Screwtape, writing to his, Wormwood, writing to younger Screwtape. Um, and as he's writing this, uh, he's, in, in this letter, uh, this instruction on how to thwart the people of God to move away from the Lord, this is what he writes in his letter, letter 7. He says, As this condition becomes more fully established, you will be gradually freed from the tiresome business of providing pleasures as temptations. As the uneasiness and his reluctance to face it cut him off more and more from all real happiness, and as habit renders the pleasures of vanity and excitement and flippancy at le- once less pleasant and harder to forego, for that is what habit fortunately does to a pleasure. You will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make his, him waste his time not only in conversation he enjoys with people whom he likes, but in conversation with those he cares nothing about on subjects that bore him. You can make him do nothing at all for long periods. You will say that these are very small sins, and doubtless, like all young tempters, you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent in which you separate the man from God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards do the trick. Now hear me. Indeed, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts, your affectionate uncle, Wormwood. One of the greatest dangers to the soul is indifference to God and the things of God. Our day, we are in very real danger of entertaining ourselves to death. 
Neil Postman wrote that book in the 50s about television when it first started. He wrote these two quotes. He said, people will come to adore the technologies that undo their capacities to think. I believe I see that in our day. He says, I believe I am not mistaken in saying that Christianity is demanding a demanding and serious religion. When it is delivered as easy and amusing, it is another kind of religion altogether. All throughout our, our country, you see churches who are trying to lessen the cause of what it means to be a Christian, to lower the, the bar, to, to amuse people, to entertain people. And what they're saying is, is, is not what Christianity teaches. If you are going to be a, a Christian, it takes serious thought and serious effort. Christianity is a serious religion that depends upon knowledge and information. It depends on, who, on knowing who the Lord is on how he has revealed himself in his word, not in creating a God of our own making. We must study the word of God, which is what we will do this morning. There's four questions I want to ask from this text this morning. I think they're key questions uh, in life, but I, you know, one is, is iffy. You'll find out that one soon. Uh, number two, the first uh, question is, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? Now, those of you who've been kind of tracking with us, uh, Moses was, was raised in Egypt and was uh, tried to deliver the, Egyptians, uh, or the Israelites from the Egyptians with his own power. He killed an Egyptian. It was made known, and he fleed. He fleed to Midian. He was there for, for 40 years. He, he met the Lord God in a bush who said, I am the Lord. I am who I am. Go and set my people free. Pharaoh won't listen to you, but here are these signs that I'll give you so the people of Israel will listen, and then Pharaoh will eventually free my people. Well, uh, last time we were together looking at this book, this is when Moses began to return to Egypt and gathered the elders of Israel, and the elders of Israel listened to him. So now Pharaoh had to go, or uh, Moses had to go before Pharaoh, which is the beginning of, of chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Now, it was not uncommon for this to happen in the ancient world. Uh, Pharaoh may have heard this complaint before as he looked over his whole entire uh, empire. Uh, but here, the people of God said very simply, Let us go and hold a, a feast for our Lord, lest he come down against us. And listen to what Pharaoh's response is. Verse 2, But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? With that question, you have under, you're seeing the very main theme of the book of Exodus. And I would say not only the main theme of the book of Exodus, probably the main theme of the entire Bible, of God in heaven revealing himself to humanity. Who is the Lord. Time and time again throughout this book, it is said the Lord acts in power and in might. And he says, so that you would know that I am the Lord. And as we think about this book, the real battle in the book of Exodus is not Moses versus Pharaoh. It is not the Israelites versus the Egyptians. No, it is God versus the Egyptian gods. This is a spiritual battle. Pharaoh does not know the Lord, but even though he does not know the Lord, he knows what knowing the Lord requires. Listen to what he says. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? 
and let Israel go. He knows that if, he's, if he knows the Lord, if he's going to serve the Lord as God, he's going to have to obey him, which is kind of foreign in our culture, right? People can say they know the Lord and yet not obey him, but that was foreign to the ancient world. If you say you love a God, you must obey him. You must follow him. Pharaoh knew that to know God, or in this case, the Lord, requires obedience. So just very honest. If you do not obey the Lord, you may not know the Lord. If there's a a sin in your life that's repetitive, consistent, almost to a place where it would be identified as your entire life. If you're unwilling to obey the Lord in that, you may not know him. One of the the great pictures of the Bible is we have the great privilege of knowing who God is. We're not just resting on this passage in Exodus, but the whole entire Bible about who God is. And one of the, the things we wanted to get at this morning is we don't want to be indifferent to God. Sometimes we don't follow God because we don't, we are indifferent. We don't care. Sometimes we don't follow God because we don't know him. We're ignorant of him. So we want to first stop just for a moment and ask ourselves, who is God? Who is the Lord? Number one, God is defined by his attributes. So God is infinite. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. God was before there was time. Immutable. I, the Lord, do not change. The one constant in this universe is the Lord. He will not change. God is self-sufficient. John 5, 26, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. We see that even in the picture of the burning bush. The reason why Moses was drawn to it, that he saw the, the bush on fire, and yet the bush was not being consumed. God does not need anything to survive, to exist. He exists in himself. And of course, we have the omnis. God is omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent. He is everywhere. He is omniscient. He knows all things. Not only does he know all things, but he is wise. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. One of the main problems in our life is because we don't believe that God is all wise. We don't believe that he has the power to change our life, or he has the wisdom to allow certain things for our good in the end. God is good. God is faithful. God is just. God is the God of all mercy and compassion. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. The Bible says that God is love. That's how we know that we are of God is because we love. 1 John 4, 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And time and time again, we see in the Scriptures what? God is holy. He is holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, Revelation 4, 8 says. And God is our Savior. We see it in the Old Testament in Isaiah 45, 21. There is no other God besides me, the righteous God and the Savior. There is none besides me. 1 Timothy 2.4 in the New Testament. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. I gave you maybe 11 attributes of God. 
Now, that was just kind of maybe a quick survey of the entire Bible. But if you want to know every single one of the character traits and attributes of how God has revealed himself, guess what? It's going to take effort. It's going to take you digging into the Word of God and to, to understand his revelation. Too often, we, we are passive pursuers of God. We kind of get a little bit from this message, and we get a little bit from this YouTube clip, and we get a little bit over here, but we're not really getting willing to work to know God. Christianity, hear me, is a serious religion. And if you want to have a serious relationship in a serious religion, you better get serious. Pharaoh will know the Lord. At the end of this book, he will know who the Lord is. And Pharaoh will eventually obey the Lord. But right now, he doesn't want to give up what he would have to give up to follow the Lord. Look at verses 4 and 5. Actually, look at certain verse 3. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go a three-day journey to the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Now, there was probably some meetings with Moses and Aaron and with all the elders of Israel. We saw that they already obeyed the, way, the, the voice of the Lord at the end of chapter 4. So there was probably word coming to Pharaoh that, hey, Moses is back, and his brother Aaron are starting to possibly organize the Hebrews. And that, if you're a king, you're thinking rebellion, when they're starting to be an organized movement. But Pharaoh did not want to give up his power and did not want to give up his workforce, right? So he's going to say that they are lazy, get back to work. Every single one of us has that one thing maybe in our life that we don't want to give up. I was hearing a, uh, a message, uh, John MacArthur was doing a podcast, and he shared the story of uh, him talking to a, a prostitute. And uh, this woman came in his office, and he was talking to her and uh, was just laying out the gospel laying out that even her sins, though they are many, they can be forgiven in Christ. And that doesn't matter what she's done in the past. If she repents of her sins and trusts in Christ, she can be forgiven by believing in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. She's hearing this from uh, Dr. MacArthur. And she's, he's just, she's soaking it up. Halfway through the conversation, MacArthur stops and looks at her and says, now give me your black book. She stopped. This long pause. What do you mean? In your line of work, everybody has a black book. Give me your black book. She stopped, looked down, looked back up and said, I guess I really don't want Jesus, do I? She said, I guess not. Friend, everyone has something that keeps you from God whether that's power and reputation and a workforce, or whether that's a black book. I don't know what your black book is, but I pray that you would give it up, that you would lay it down. Because if you're going to know God, you must obey him. Do not fool yourself to believe that you can know the Lord without obeying him. The real reason, hear me, the real reason people don't come to Christ is because they don't want to give up their own sovereignty and their own control of their life. 
They may say, I don't want to come to Christ because I met a Christian. They may say, I don't want to come to Christ because I have questions. The real reason people don't come to Christ is because they don't want to give up the control of their life. They don't want to give up their black books. They don't want to give up their, their, their lifestyle. They don't want, want to give up the sovereignty of their own life. Beloved, do you know the Lord? Pharaoh said, I do not know the Lord, therefore I will not obey him. I pray that we would be the opposite of that. Number two, how do you smell to God? How do you smell to God? I know that was, I was preparing it. I'm like, you know what? Should I, should I use that question or not? And I decided to use it. It's, it's an iffy question, but the, there it is. Kind of a deep moment to that levity. Um, regretting that now, right? How do you smell to God? Really just look at this next section. Um, starting in verse 10. So the taskmaster said to the foreman of the people, went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go and get your straw yourselves, whether you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. So the people were scattered throughout all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day as when there was straw. And the foremen of the people of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all that your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Then the foremen of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks. And behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is your own people. But he says, you are idle. You are idle. That is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Go now and work. No straw will be given you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. The foremen of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble when they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh. And they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Just two observations here. The first, God's people are attacked when they're trying to live for the Lord. Pharaoh attacks the people of God. The real battle is, is, is God and the, 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 the Egyptian, the, versus the Egyptian gods. And yet here, the people of God are attacked. Why? Because the people of God are trying to obey the Lord. And when, you're, when, the, when the people of God are trying to live for the Lord, guess what? The enemy does not like that. So he attacks the people of God. He, he sometimes attacks from within and disunity and dissension, or sometimes he attacks from without. Beloved, do not be surprised that when God moves among his people, Satan rages against them. Satan hates God, and he hates God's people. It is a common theme you see throughout the Bible. If you are going to be faithful to God, you're going to face persecution. You're going to suffer. You're going to struggle. Through many trials and tribulations, you must enter through the kingdom of God. The second thing I want you to see is that the people here care more about the world's opinions than they do about God's. They care more about the world's opinions than they do about God. The people do not trust God or do not trust God's leaders. 
They said, you made us stink in the, uh, in the, in the, to Pharaoh. They cared more about what Pharaoh thought. Now, you could take Pharaoh and you could replace him with government. You could replace him with your boss. You could replace him with anything of this world. Who do you care more about? Do you care more about the Lord or do you care more about the opinions of man? I'll never forget when I was in Venezuela. I was 20 years old. I was a missionary. And uh, Davey Bracho looked at me one day, and this was towards the end of my time there after watching me and my life for, for two months. He said, Dave, here is my prayer for you. You're saying it in Spanish. Not going to do it in Spanish. Uh, this is my prayer for you. Galatians 1.10. And Galatians 1.10 says, who, who am I? Am I going to be a servant of Christ or am I going to be a servant of the people? He saw something in me that I had, had a desire in my heart to please man more than please the Lord. Friends, that is a dangerous thing. Too often we are focused on our life right now rather than trusting God in the midst of our trial. And because we are focused on temporal things, when hard things come, we want to get angry and upset with the Lord and with the Lord's leaders. Yesterday I was uh, laying on my couch and uh, picked up a, a hymnal uh, that was on the nightstand or on the uh, end table and started flipping through it. And I came to uh, God Moves in Mysterious Ways. And listen to these lyrics. And this is why we sing. And can I just encourage you to sing? It's not, I don't think it's, 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 it's good for your heart or for your soul just to be in the congregation and not sing. Some of you may say, well, I can't sing. Well, I can't sing either, right? But I sing out. Why? Because when you sing, something happens to your heart. Something happens that fills your heart more with the Lord. So some of you here are experiencing a deadness and a coldness in your spiritual walk. And the reason could be that you don't sing. So this is a great hymn of the faith written in the, the early, uh, the late 1700s by William Cooper. Listen to these words. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unsearchable minds of, of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessings, in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Sometimes we don't understand why the trials, God brings us through trials. With that psalm, or that hymn is trying to get us to see, is that we need to trust God in the midst of it because God has a plan. We saw that even in, in the story that Simeon read with Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And, and the people there said, if this man who can give sight to the blind, could he not save Lazarus? If the story stopped there and people turned away, they would have missed something, wouldn't they? God didn't want to just bring Lazarus back to health. He wanted to raise him from the dead. God has a purpose. He will sustain you in trial. He has a plan and purpose for your suffering. And yet often we become like Moses, which is the third question. Why have you done evil? Why have you done evil? 
Verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord. Notice the, the change in all caps to, to lowercase. Again, here, Moses does not understand who the Lord is. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. Moses blames the Lord. He questions his mission, questions the Lord's word. I mean, if we just kind of take off the church hat for a second, maybe take off the, 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 the church robe that we kind of put on every Sunday morning. Have you been there? Have you had those why questions like Moses has? Why am I, am I in this chronic pain? Why haven't you, haven't you delivered me from this sin? Why haven't you given me a child? Why am I single? Why did you take my child? Why won't you save my spouse? Why won't you bring back my children? Why do I struggle with these unhealthy desires? Why? Why, Lord? Why have you brought this evil upon me? You know, one of the beautiful things about God's Word, it doesn't, doesn't hide our emotions. I think sometimes when we come to church, we feel like we have to have it all together. Friends, you do not have it all together. Nobody in here has it all together. Why? Because we're all sinners and we are all being sanctified day by day by the Spirit of God. Why have you done evil, Moses says. So if you have had that question, Lord, why? Well, hear the response that the Lord gives Moses. Verse 6, chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see that I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel from the Egyptians, hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. I think the Lord's trying to make a point. Do you know who I am? Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? And I'm saying to you, Moses, I am the Lord. Tell the people. Tell the people who I am and what I will do. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. I will be your God. The question, beloved, is not, why did you do evil to me? God, but rather, why do you love those who do evil to you? It's not, why have you done evil to me? It's, how can you love me who do evil to you? The I wills of salvation, one commentator read, led to an I won't from God's people. Look at verse 9. 
Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. They were too broken and too hurt to hear of God's love. That could be you this morning. I don't know what God is doing in your life, what he has brought into your path, the different trials that you have faced, but sometimes we get a time where we, we can't hear of the Lord's love because of our suffering. We can't hear of his grace because we have become indifferent to the truth. We just can't hear it. But friends, God does not want us only to know him as creator and the almighty, but he wants to, us to know him as redeemer. Our greatest problem is not our circumstances, not our suffering. It's not the, the whys that are left unanswered. Our greatest problem is our sin against the holy God. God has delivered us from that sin through his son, which is the, the whole picture we see in the Old Testament. God has going to deliver the, the Israelites from the Egyptians as a sign of his power, as a sign that he will redeem the people of God in the future through his son. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus Christ hung on a tree, looked as one who was cursed. And if we look at that picture in that moment and, and, and stop the story there, we don't see what's coming. He did not only just die, but he was raised from the dead as the exodus from Egypt proves that God is our deliverer in the Old Testament. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave, from, from death, is God's proof that he will deliver us from all the evil in this world. So let us as a people of God, let us not say, why did you do evil? But rather, let us be those kind of people who pray, deliver us from evil through Christ our Lord. And the deliverance that you primarily need is the, is the evil that is in your own heart, not the evil that is coming upon you in this world. We want to trust God in the midst of our trials. Why? Because the only one who has experienced true injustice in this world is the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the perfectly innocent Son of God, dying on a cross to pay for your sins, and my sins. If you are here and you are not a follower of Christ, if you have yet to repent and turn to Christ, if there is something in your life that you're holding on to, some black book, if you will, I pray that you would lay it down. Lay it down and turn to Christ. Last question. How will they listen? How will they listen? In verse 10 of chapter 6, so the Lord said to Moses, go in and tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. For the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Chapter uh, 6, verse 14, all the way down to verse 25 is this genealogy that we're not going to dig in now, but it kind of unpacks all the different uh, nations of Israel and leaders. In verse 26, it says, 
These are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their host. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? How will the people listen? How will Pharaoh listen? Beloved, hear me. We cannot control if they listen. That is not our job. Our job is to make sure they hear. We want to make sure that they hear of the Lord. That's why God said through his son, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is our job. That is our marching orders. We can't be always rejoicing when people respond to the gospel. We want people to respond, don't we? We want to tell people about Christ. We want them to, to repent of their sins and trust in him. But listen, when, if there was an altar call today and I called everyone down front and nobody came, God is still glorified because his word went forth. His word was proclaimed. It is not our responsibility. It is not my responsibility as a pastor to control whether you will respond in obedience. It's my job to, to make sure you hear what God says in his word, that you would obey. So that question, do you know the Lord? If you want to know the Lord, here's what you do. Very simply, seek him, obey him, share him. I believe these are the three most fundamental ways that we live as Christians. We, we seek Christ. We run after him. We know his word. And we want to obey him. We follow what he says. And then we share Christ. That's what a disciple of Christ looks like. Seek, obey, share. So don't ask, how will they listen? How will my... My, my spouse, listen, how will my children listen? How will my, my coworkers listen? How will my, my neighbors listen? They have all these issues with God. Listen, that is not your responsibility to change your mind. Change your mind about Christ. It's your job to share. So don't say, how will they listen? Rather, ask yourself, how can I listen better? And what can I share? Don't ask, how will they know the Lord? Ask, how can I know the Lord more? If you seek after Christ and you want to know the Lord, I promise you people will take notice and they will ask you, why are you like this? And you could say, because I know the Lord. Friends, Christianity is a serious religion and it requires serious effort to know and understand God. But hear me, <laughs> it is so worth it. So what is holding you back from giving up all to Christ? Let me end with the Apostle Paul's words in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If you choose to follow Christ, you may lose everything in this life. But if you gain Christ, you have enough. Beloved, I pray that we would be the kind of people who would count everything as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Who is the Lord? Jesus says, I am the Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Master. And He is our Redeemer. And He says to all who are weary and heavy laden, find your rest in me. For I am the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed very clearly who you are in your word. I pray, God, that you would help the people of God here know that you are the Lord.